This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. My name is Bob Asman, and I'm your host. And I'm really pleased to have a fellow CX professional joining me today, Lynn Hunsinger, for our podcast episode. Lynn, welcome to the podcast, and please introduce yourself to our listeners. Hello, I'm Lynn Hunsaker. I'm Chief Customer Officer at Clear Action Continuum, which is an e-learning community and a provider. That's great, Lynn, and we want to get into more of that uh, as we progress through our discussion today. But Lynn, before we do that, I'm always curious, as are our listeners, when it comes to talking to CX professionals about their career path, how did you get to where you are today? Did you wake up one day as a little girl and say, I want to be a CX professional? Give us, give us those key times in your life and in your career that got to, to do what you're doing today. Yeah, well, thanks for bringing up little girl, because that made me remember something that my mom was laughing about just recently. Uh, When I was little, I did really care about uh, people feeling special and everybody uh, being important. Um, One of the things that I recall playing with my brother and sisters when I was uh, around third, fourth grade, I set up a set of uh, some chairs and a chalkboard and we played school. So I've known that I've always wanted to be a teacher and um, I'm glad to do that. It's really a wonderful thing to do in you know, this point in my life. Um, but s- starting off with customer experience, I didn't know what that was when I was getting my MBA. It wasn't a, a phrase that we used. Um, it was in the late 1980s at that point that um, you know, they brought in some speakers from Harvard Uh, business school uh, talking about uh, quality function deployment if you know what that is the house of quality which is you know collecting voice of the customer and then applying it to uh, different phases of the manufacturing environment I thought that was fascinating but um, I was really introduced to this uh, this field after I got my marketing degree I was marketing and finance and international business uh, combined So in the early 90s, I was in the strategic planning department of a product, uh, a uh, packaging uh, company called Sonoco Products in South Carolina. And in the strategic planning department, they wanted uh, feedback from customers to be part of the, the strategic planning formula for the coming year. And specifically, they were wanting to get uh, customers' perceptions of value relative to expectations and value relative to our competitors. So I was visiting customers around the country, 1988, 89, 90, 91, 
um, started out as an intern and came back to the strategic planning department as a full-time asking the uh, purchasing managers and, uh, and plant managers, what did they think of, um, you know, each facet of the experience that they had with us and with our products and what were their expectations in terms of a range of performance tight or wide? Where did, where did we fall and other, uh, companies that they know of uh, fall on that uh, scale and then talking about the value. So that was parlayed into a voice of the customer role that they asked me to take on as the uh, chair of a company-wide task force looking at what is customer satisfaction, how should we be measuring it? So um, that had about a dozen countries uh, represented in that task force and many product lines. And from there, I really learned what it meant to, to uh, do a relationship survey, a transaction survey. And it was very familiar to me because it was almost what we'd been doing before, except, um, you know, more uh, using mail and phone instead of face to face. So yes, uh, from as early as 1992, I was speaking at national conferences on customer satisfaction and retention. That was the American Marketing Association and um, American Society for Quality Conference. So I'll speed up the story a little bit, but uh, 1994, I joined a company in Silicon Valley, uh, the San Jose, San Francisco area of California. That was called Applied Materials and they make equipment for semiconductor companies. So it's the equipment that Intel and National Semiconductor and so forth use for um, <clears throat> creating chips. Um, anyway, they had uh, had a near crisis and this is a really uh, important story for where I'm at in my career and what I stand for. They had had a near crisis about a year before I joined Applied Materials where the CEO of their largest customer stood up and said, well, I know we're celebrating that we buy a lot from you, but I gotta tell you, there's only one reason why we buy so much from you. It's because you're always first to market with the latest technology. And being the, you know, the largest semiconductor company, we have to have the latest technology. Um, and sure enough, we were twice as big as our next competitor, mostly because it's a very cyclical industry. And every time there was a downturn, we invested tremendously in engineering so that we would come out of the downturn with uh, a new product launch, the new uh, generation of, of chip making. So he said, um, you know, I really want to start buying a lot more from your competitors because you're really hard to do business with and you're really arrogant. <laughs> oh my so, gosh, Lynn. <laughs> can you imagine how our executives were feeling like, you know, they're in kind of a party mood, but then they get this harsh, criticism. Right. Well, it really scared him. And our executives immediately set up a VP of customer satisfaction. They hired some people from Malcolm Baldrige National Quality Award to help us uh, get our act together. And they also launched their first uh, relationship survey. They'd been doing transaction surveys for a long, long time, but never had done a relationship. Well, when they got the, these results back, and again, this was before I started, but they had an offsite at Pebble Beach, the golf course. And in the morning they were reading through the customer comments and hating it. 
<laughs> who said that, you know, who was interviewing? Uh, what day was this? What serial number are they talking about? This can't be true. Luckily, the VP of customer sat was a feisty Scotsman and he held up the, the report book and said, this is a mirror. It's showing you that you've got stuff in your teeth and you've got your hair sticking up. And maybe you don't care, but that's what the customer sees and that's what we have to manage to. So luckily for me, in the afternoon, they decided, you know what, we have to do something. We can't just do nothing. And we don't want all of our managers to react like we did, which is likely to happen. So how can we make sure that this investment pays off and that we really make that turnaround that's going to save us? This is a very influential customer that, you know, if they left, uh, left us, <laughs> we'd have a lot of other fallout with a very small uh, market of about 200 customers in total around the world. So that's where I came in. Um, I was hired into the corporate quality department and I was voice of the customer manager. And my first role was to make over 50 different reports. So each group would get their own report. That's what came out of the afternoon at Pebble Beach. Everybody needs to have their own report to minimize finger pointing. And we need to have somebody from quality go around to each group throughout the world, all the account teams, all the product lines, make sure that they really understand their data in the context of the corporate performance and do something about it. Let's get down to the real root issue and make sure this isn't happening anymore. Let's change our arrogance. Let's change our hard to do business reputation. And you know, we, we really have huge growth plans. We can't have a bump in the road like this. So uh, like I said, I made over 50 reports and um, I was working with a provider, but uh, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't do it fast enough for us. So I hired some interns to help us uh, crank that all out. Nowadays you have so much um, automated. There are a lot of advantages. But I went around to each group and we did action planning where we had cross-functional representation at each account team and each product line. And they had two uh, key issues, two key drivers from the correlation analysis to focus on. They read customer comments. They came to a, a, a consensus as a cross-functional group of what the real themes were, and then did five whys to get to the real root. These action plans also had a progress metric that was tracking something internal that would tell us ahead of time if we were going to be on target or not with the outcome of that business process. So we wanted to make sure that the outcomes of our business processes were going to be um, satisfactory or showing great progress to our customers by tracking things before the train left the station, so to speak. And in fact, this is what we um, put into manager's bonus requirement, not the, not the score of the survey, which I argued for initially, but I learned that it's better to track managers on what they're doing about it and make that the very serious emphasis. At the end of the year, um, the VP of customer sat and I met with every general manager by video conference and we could give them 50% of what their budget would be, what their bonus would be for that. For example, if it's a $20,000 bonus for this area, 
we could knock it down to 10,000 because they weren't really serious about executing that action plan. And so others who were very um, impressive in what they achieved, we could actually bump it up to 30,000, a 50% increase. That was very influential in getting people to pay attention. Also, we sent out a letter to all of our customers um, once we got the, the next survey results back saying, here are the top three things that we're seeing. We're going to be um, creating action plans and moving forward on these. We won't have it solved within this year probably, but uh, eight months from now, you're going to get a progress report from us. So that made a big difference in people showing up and paying you know, close attention in these action planning workshops that I was doing. Also every quarter I collected everybody's action plans. Um, of course, we didn't have things uh, automated on the internet at that, at that uh, point in time, but I collected everybody's action plans and published them in what we called the green book and provided that to the senior leadership team at the same time that they were looking at the black book and blue book of financial and operational data for the quarter uh, in preparation for their calls with the uh, industry analysts. So we had a number of things baked in to what I was supposed to do in my job that were really driving customer centricity in people's thinking and doing but most importantly, driving major improvements in things that would save customers a lot of time and money. What did I do the rest of the year before, uh, you know, after I've done these workshops? Well, I went and sat with people over in HR and marketing and uh, accounting and wherever else, um, our internal education team and so forth. And I was working with them to inject customer-centric stuff into their templates into their deliverables, into their processes and things like that so that we would adapt our culture to have customer centricity embedded in it. So that was the nature of my work at Applied Materials. I was there for 11 years. I had a couple of marketing roles in, and I was also head of corporate quality for a while. And since then I've been trying to get uh, other companies to, to take on the same type of approach so that they can yield really wonderful, tremendous uh, savings for customers and for your own company, and also that growth that you're looking for from customer experience. Lynn, what a, what a great story you shared with our listeners. And uh, in sharing that story, you gave them a roadmap for success. So often, we hear from CX professionals that they just can't make headway and they're struggling. And some of the things that you were challenged with at Applied Materials really turned into a roadmap for success that, as you said, you're applying now to the work you're doing with your companies uh, and clients that you work with. That, that's really amazing, mm -hmm. um, especially because it was... Uh, you know, early in the movement. And, and I, I love the fact you talked about the QFD, the quality function deployment, the house of quality, um, the five whys. We, I, I, uh, both Lynn and I share a love for teaching uh, at, the, at the university and college level. And I was just having a conversation with a group of supply chain uh, seniors about the five whys. And how they're still applicable today. So that, that's fun to hear you talk about that. 
listeners, you're listening to Lynn Hunsaker, who's joining me as a CX professional on our podcast, All Things Considered CX today. So Lynn, tell me a little bit about where we are with CX. We're still in the pandemic. We've gone through a lot to this point. I know you're doing a lot of fine work in the area of determining the ROI of CX. Give our listeners your perspective on where we're at in the world of experience management today. I think we're really at an important crossroads. Um, You know, the expectations of our customers and our employees, our partners, basically, you know, the whole ecosystem of a company have shifted quite a bit since 2019. And um, we know that many of these changes are here to stay. And in fact, many of the changes are still going to be changing frequently. And so I think that uh, ongoing dynamic aspect of our world requires a different approach than what we were successful with in the 2010s. I think that we need to revisit some things that have been lost. I mean, I was, again, speaking at conferences in the 1990s and hearing so many companies tell fabulous things. They were doing customer satisfaction, retention, loyalty. Uh, They weren't calling it customer experience, but so what? It was the same thing, Uh, largely the same thing. Um, Even journey mapping was done in the 1990s. So, um, you know, people shift jobs and stuff and they relabel things. And I was shocked when I went to the first uh, SPA conference in 2020, uh, 2012 and saw that so many companies that I recognized as being in the speaker circuit for CX back in the 90s were saying, well, we're just getting started. We don't know anything. Like, no, <laughs> can't be true. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. So, so I just think that there's been a lot of things lost that I call unpracticed best practices. Why? Because I practice them. I know that they yield wonderful results. And yet when you look around, they've been lost. Um, So, uh, you know, first of all, with ROI, I think that you need to, to put yourself in the shoes of the customers. What ROI are they getting from customer experience? And sure, you know, they, there are a lot of things being done to help the the uh, user experience be more positive um, and so on to create human-centered designs for customers and so forth. I think that's wonderful. But the the fact of the matter is we collect a ton of customer voice and we don't do that much with it. I think it's great that we have pretty robust things in place to respond to customers that say, hey, you know, I was dissatisfied. But that's that's just so not congruent with what you're trying to get done with ROI on CX because the definition of survey participant is it's a percentage, it's a, it's a subset of your customer base, whoever participates, it's not 100%. The um, definition of a dissatisfied customer from a survey is still a smaller percentage yet. And so the fact that we've followed up with 100% of them or whatever, it's still just a drop in the bucket when it comes to pleasing or creating a a better situation for everybody. Um, It's really not necessary to do journey maps for everything. I know there's, it's really not necessary to um, even 
ask the question, would you recommend us? I know I'm saying some things that seem sacrilegious to a lot of people. Um, <laughs> Keep going, Lynn. I love it. <laughs> but you know what? We were asking, um, how well would you recommend, or how likely would you recommend us back in 1991? <laughs> we sure were. And um, we didn't calculate the promoters minus the detractors in the way that the, that calculation uh, was invented in the early 2000s. Um, but nonetheless, we were using that along with uh, other questions. We were following up with customers in 1991 with a 24-hour turnaround. It's nothing new. Um, <clears throat> 30 years we, ago, Lynn. 30 years ago, you were already doing this. Amazing. Yeah, yeah I hate that number because it's just so big. But <laughs> <laughs> but you started at a very young age, Lynn. That's what we'll say. <laughs> well, see, the thing is that you want to do, one of the things you want to do for ROI for customers is show that you're actually acting on what they said, meaning you're really getting to the root of the issue. You're really preventing these things from happening to others. You're preventing those things from happening again for the customer. Makes no sense that a customer has a bad experience and you give them 10 movie tickets if you're a theater to come and experience the same thing again or to allow nine of their friends experience that dumb thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You have to give assurance and not just a lip service, but like real assurance. We're, we've, we're not doing that junk anymore. It's easier said than done. For sure. But, um, you know, I think it was fortuitous that I reported into strategic planning and to quality in my roles. Uh, taught me a lot about what's possible and um, how to take those, those leaps of faith in a way, but also to how to drive things more cross-organizationally and have that facilitation acumen, the change management acumen that's so necessary. Second thing for ROI is... Uh, the quick wins mentality that we have, both among management and in the CX field. Quick wins are great when you can when you can work it into your bandwidth. That's wonderful. But guess what? We have to have a much larger percentage of our energy on not just the 24-hour turnaround and the quick wins, but getting to the root issue with cross-functional colleagues to uh, uh, create a plan that's going to prevent recurrence of issues, so, right? There's three types of improvement. One is resolving the instance. Second is preventing recurrence for everyone. And third is preventing occurrence by everyone, hmm. right? So right. when I'm talking about everyone, and I, I, I listened to your recent uh, podcast, Bob, with uh, John Picoult, Yes. Mm -hmm. Some similar themes there. Your, Indeed. Mm -hmm. As a customer experience leader, your customers are the legal team, the audit team, the, um, the IT team, the quality team, the safety team, the engineering team, the marketing team. Every group in the whole company is your internal customer as a CX leader. You rely upon them to get things right the first time and consistently, you have to educate them about what customers' expectations are as performance standards for their job. That's the challenge of a customer experience leader. And that's the key to driving huge ROI from customer experience. You need to deputize every single group in your company to 
take on a customer-centered viewpoint and bake in whatever customer insights um, are applicable to their job. Uh, how do you do that? You provide them customer insights at those timely junctures when they're preparing for uh, reports, reviews, internal things, external things that they uh, participate in or that they're evaluated by in their field of, their field of, uh, of livelihood or in the company. You have to, to be proactive in providing things to people in a timely way and in a way that will help them to uh, absorb and apply that information in the things that, that matter to them. So it's really important to go to lunch with people, um, be a guest, at, you know, fly on the wall or a guest at their staff meetings, things like that. So you learn to speak their language. You learn what their rhythms are. You learn to connect with them just as much as you care about your external customers. The third thing is for ROI. So yeah, doing this root cause analysis and, and, and driving that improvement, like I told in my story, is that second part getting to the retain uh, the uh, right the real uh, prevention of re recurrence? The third thing is to speak executives' language when you're talking about customer experience metrics, because what's executive language? It's how they are evaluated, how the company is evaluated, cumulative average growth rate, sales velocity, uh, return on assets. Okay, that might sound scary to a lot of CX leaders, but it's not. Um, all you need to do is find the, the um, tree charts for what, what return on assets is. What's the tree chart for what is uh, cumulative average growth rate or whatever. The tree charts mean what are the different components of, of metrics that go into the calculation of that, uh, that index or that... Uh, um, financial ratio. Mm -hmm. And as you do that, you're going to find, oh, wow. So um, reducing costs goes and in, plugs, plugs in here. I've reduced costs through this customer experience effort. I, I've, um, you know, influenced this group to uh, reduce the costs, or we've influenced this group to save time for engineers. So now this engineers are spending less time on troubleshooting and a lot more time being proactive, creating strategic value. That gets plug, plugged in somewhere to a financial ratio. So if you're not familiar with it, you can either take my, my training, experience leadership training and, and get all that in a workbook. Um, or you can uh, sit down with somebody in finance or whoever's savvy about uh, financial ratios and start having that conversation about the linkages. And uh, even if you can't prove or you know, show a specific number of uh, how exactly what that ratio is because or, or before or after, I think it's important to um, steer executives mindset to that. Um, if I might backtrack just for a second, Bob, on that sure. second uh, ROI recommendation I had about the root causes, there's something I've called the CX annuities. So that's a phrase I've coined. Annuities, as I understand it, is kind of like for your retirement, you have a, a nest egg and then you don't draw on the principal, you just keep on 
uh, drawing from the interest year after year, you just live off the interest, so to speak. So the idea of an annuity generally is that it's a gift that keeps on giving. And so CX annuities, the way that I describe it is when you have saved a lot of time, you've um, saved a lot of money in, in a certain area, it's not happening anymore. That money, if you hadn't made that save, would be perpetually uh, needed in that area. This year, next year, the year after, the year after. Now that's done, you don't have to put the money there anymore. That money is freed up or that resource is freed up. Those agents, the, those engineers or whoever, they're freed up to do something else that's higher value. This is what we need to be quantifying for executives, CX annuities. And as things are freed up, both for customers and for our company, we're gonna find that there's a revenue opportunity in that, not just a cost savings opportunity. First of all, you can use those CX annuities in your marketing and your sales efforts. Really good claims that are true. We're saving such and such for our customers. It can be really mind boggling what these numbers add up to, but even if it's just an example, like, you know, we don't know the whole, this is just the tip of the iceberg, but one aspect of this is, you know, X dollars or X percent or X hours. Um, that's really impressive. So, um, you know, I have a lot of other things to say about ROI, but that's my overall advice, Bob. Well, Lynn, a couple of things just really struck me. First of all, this last comment you made about CX annuities, I love that. The gifts that keep on giving. I mean, if that doesn't tell a strong story about CX ROI, I don't know what does. The other thing, and although it was subtle and and but but so impactful is what's the ROI to the customer? Oftentimes our language is about, well, what's the ROI for the company? But you, you structured that in such a way to say, what's the ROI for the customer when we improve the experience? And that, you know, for you, it, it might've been second nature, but for our listeners, think of the subtleties there that Lynn talked about in terms of, focusing on the customer and the ROI delivery of the experience to the customer and your, your ROI for your company will, will follow. And then her three steps that she talks about are Lynn, those are really impactful steps to take to, to demonstrate that, that investment in CX makes sense. It just, it just really impactful. And, um, and I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. Lynn, where do you think we're going from here? I mean, eventually we, we, we know we're going to emerge from the pandemic. It might always still be here, but we'll be on stronger foundations. But where do you think the world of CX is going? What are the themes you're seeing from your perspective and the clients that you're working with? Oh, well, one of the things that I noticed right off with the pandemic was there was quite an upset the fruit basket with customer experience roles. It seemed like a lot of companies were re-allocating um, to customer experience jobs to employee experience or to digitalization or user experience or sales, or they, you know, customer experience people just left the working world or the corporate world altogether. So that's a little concerning. Um, I think that 
we really have to pay attention to the things that I've been describing and adopt those as we go forward because, uh, you know, well, I've actually coined another phrase called experience leadership. So we've had uh, experience management, we've had, you know, customer experience, uh, customer retention, customer loyalty, customer satisfaction going on back. But experience leadership um, was really only used by one guy who's a consultant uh, for executives, for leadership people, and trying to make sure that they have a good experience. <laughs> what I'm talking about is uh, taking experience, customer experience and experience management a step further strategically, meaning it's not enough to have to be striving for customers to be your allies. And that's what really Net Promoter Score is about. Do we have people recommending our brand? Are they an ally of our brand, uh, basically an extension of our sales and marketing? Um, it's, that's not enough. What we really need to do is make sure that we are preventing problems for customers. I have a lot of things on my desk uh, that I never contacted the manufacturer. That I've never participated in their survey. I, I probably never will, even if they invite me, but I'll probably rebuy these same things, my computer, my microphone, my phone, my mouse, uh, you know, looking all around. I have a ton of things here that I just don't care about participating in their surveys. And I also am glad that I never really had to call them and never really, you know, I, I bought the thing that I'm using. It's a big part of my day, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the quality of what you have in the way that it's supposed to perform is most important. So experience leadership is the idea of experience, customer, what customers experience or what employees experience, what partners experience is just one simple thing. It's their realities divided by their expectations. When you have a one-to-one -one ratio between what the person's realities were versus what their expectations were, then it's a good experience. That has magnetic attraction. Why? Because everyone and their dog creates problems and requires you to go sit and listen to their music and then, you know, talk to the agent and rate the agent and stuff. It's, I, I think it's um, very necessary to have that all be uh, very efficient and effective. But the, the fact of the matter is nobody really has time to do that and they don't want to do it. What they just want is they want to get forward in their life. They want to do it with as minimal friction as possible. And the products and services that can, can do that will stand out and people will have a magnetic attraction to that, both new and returning. So um, experience leadership uh, is um, company-wide alignment to customers' expectations. And first and foremost, your core growth customers, because they're the ones that you rely upon to grow your company. So it's not alignment to every, every customer necessarily. It's getting your act together first with your most important uh, customers financially and then mushrooming out as you can, just like many brands, the winning brands have done. McDonald's, they um, really hit the nail on the head for young families back in the 70s, 80s. You know, they've always kept up with the happy meals, the playgrounds and so forth for young families. And they've stuck with their brand essence of fast and affordable. And then they've mushroomed out to the quarter pounders, the parfaits, the, the coffee and so forth, the, the larger $6 burgers. But 
they still have maintained that core growth group and hitting the nail on the head with that. They really stand out compared to any other hamburger chain for young families. That's what we want to do in our companies. We want to stand out for a group very specifically. It's Marketing 101. <laughs> and hit the nail on the head with those guys very squarely in our customer experience. So we basically own that uh, portion of the, the market, that segment, and then mushroom from there. That's really going to make a big difference in, uh, in navigating the 2020s, going back to your question, Bob, mm -hmm. with all the dynamic of change, we're gonna see expectations morphing. You know, People working from home, they're not working from home. They're doing this, they're not doing that. And uh, they have a hurricane, they don't have a hurricane. We're gonna see a lot more uh, changes in the 2020s and 2030s than we saw in the past years. So keeping an ear to the ground, with uh, your customer voice, uh, feeding that into all the different organizations, helping them to be in alignment with the customer's expectations will help your company to be nimble and first to market, not only with products, but also with you know, whatever else uh, reactions and uh, proactive things uh, are necessary as we've seen in these past two years in spades. I knew that inviting Lynn on the All Things Considered CX podcast would provide a refreshing and challenging perspective. And Lynn, you didn't disappoint. This has been a fascinating conversation. We probably could go on all day, um, but our time has is, is come now. And before we adjourn our podcast, uh, Lynn, if our listeners want to learn more, um, you mentioned... Um, uh, joining one of your uh, sessions, how will they get in touch with you and what's the best uh, way to do that? Sure. Just go to clearaction.com. In the upper right corner, you'll see uh, meet with me or contact information. Uh, follow me on LinkedIn, Lynn, Lynn Hunsaker, H-U-N-S-A-K-E-R. And uh, we've got a, a community that has all of our training in it called the Experience Value Exchange. Plus we have uh, coaching and, and our experienced leadership courses, both for experts and executives, and then another series for CCXPs and CX enthusiasts. Excellent. Lynn, thanks again for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate your time and listeners be sure and check out um, Lynn's um, materials and information that she has. She's a great resource uh, if you're wanting to learn more about CX and some of the concepts that she shared with us today. This has been another episode of All Things Considered CX, part of the CX of M radio network. I'm Bob Asman, your host. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your networks. And as always, stay tuned for another episode of this podcast with uh, CX professionals from across the globe. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, and visit CXofM.org for more resources.